Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Matt. Hello, it's me, Chris. And uh, today we're delighted to be joined again by Chris Hewitt of Empire Magazine. Welcome again, Chris. Hello, Matt. Hello, other Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Remember last time you were on, we had the same problem with the, the Chris's and the, and the introductions, but I'm the less uh, professional one and you're, you're the more professional one. <laughs> I see you haven't uh, taken my suggestion that you, you haven't changed your name by Deedpool, which is disastrous quite frankly every time there's a uh, chris on your on your show you should change your name to i don't know a character from the film so i'm going to call you uh ray peterson for the duration of this podcast <laughs> i'm happy with ray uh, i'm go- i'll go with ray it's a good name i like Actually, ray. I've, I've always thought of you as a ray which is weird right a ray <laughs> yeah. of sunshine yeah exactly see i radiate i radiate um <laughs> no you're well, radioactive it's it's, it's it's different you're toxic I'm, in fact i'm i'm, ca- I'm definitely catching uh, last time, Chris, we did Blade, and uh, I noticed did. that Blade's coming out like 4K. Well, no, for um, what am I going to try to say? 4K resolution, like DVD or something, should yeah, be released. It's going to look terrible. <laughs> 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 the effects, the effects looked shonky as they were in 1998. <laughs> I don't know how bad they're going to be now. They can be seen super high resolution. The effects at the end with the uh, the blood god, uh, oh. which were basically it looked like they were made on someone's Amiga or something. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. horrendous. So yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, I don't. Is it getting the UK release? I mean, I should know these things because that's kind of my purview of the magazine. But uh, I, I think, haven't seen I think... any talk of UK release yet. I think it is. I mean, I've I've just seen on Twitter someone mentioned right. it was a, a must buy. So I thought, oh yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good one. I'm <laughs> all over should that. Be, should be left in the resolution they were originally broadcast. <laughs> some things should just yes. not get upgraded. Yes. That's weird. I, I just Blade is in my consciousness, well, perpetually in my consciousness. But uh, I watched today. I don't know whether you guys have seen this, but it's a, and there's a new film on Netflix called Vampires versus the Bronx which yes. sounds absolutely horrendous, but it's actually really, really good fun. And in it, the young kids from the Bronx who find out that vampires are trying to gentrify their neighborhood by basically killing everybody is uh, they watch Blade for tips, even though it's an R-rated film and they shouldn't be watching Blade, obviously. But, you know, they realize eventually, you know, that some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. And that's that's a, a lesson they take to their hearts. Sorry. That's... That phrase, I, I'm using that more and more since the last podcast as well, because <laughs> uh, it's a good one to use it just in general, you know, um, yeah. th- that and pushing gravy up a hill with your nose. It's the other good one I like. <laughs> it's equally as good. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, how's things been for you since we last spoke? I think it was, it was generally speaking just before lockdown, I think, uh, or during the first couple during of lockdown. weeks. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it went, and uh, since then we, I don't know. We all thought it wasn't going to last that long, but yeah. Um, what, what, what's what been happening? How are you finding like the lack of cinema and, and cinema trips? I know you've been going back here and there. but mm. Yeah, I've, I've, well, I've gone quite insane. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm dressed as a, as a parrot at the moment and uh, uh, I'm mainly talking in uh, French, uh, but no, uh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I've been really, really busy and uh, which is a good thing to see because even though cinemas don't seem to be flourishing that well or ferrying that well in fact my local has has closed my local is a is a picture house and it's closed and so i'm I'm a bit i was going back i was going fairly regularly to the cinema i felt really safe going to the cinema um you know whether it was on my own or with my wife we felt really safe largely because and this might have something to do with why they've closed because no one was there yeah (laughs) and so so, you know i think maybe they looked at it and went actually we're not making a lot of money here maybe we should close until some of the the bigger films are are knocking around so i can see why they did it from that from that point of view but yeah i've been really really busy i've been knocking about loads of films are coming out Netflix, Amazon, Apple, you know, they're still doing loads of stuff. Films are being released on, on PVOD. The podcast is still going, you know, great guns. So, yeah, it's been it's been a really hectic time for me. I think I've had one day off in lockdown. So I'm, I'm wow. planning to have a, another day off. I think I've pinpointed a day in November, but let's see how it goes. Okay, and then you might get asked to do a podcast, in which case... <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll fill it with a podcast. It'll be my one day. I'll be like, come on, guys, let's do it. Let's do these things. Yes, all the, all the titles I suggested to you for this episode before I went nuts for my choice. Uh, we should do those. We should do all of them. Every single yeah, one. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I'll, have to, I'll clear some space in my diary too. We'll just, we'll just binge the lot. 
Um, but this this one, like I said, we came to a decision, and uh, I know you know most of the, the guests that we have on on the podcast uh, find it quite difficult to pinpoint something. But you came back with at least three. Uh, <laughs> we suggest we suggested one, in which case, which which was uh, which was turfed out, and then we've gone with the burbs. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gas line, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. As I said off mic, this is a, a movie that I have never seen. Uh, shock horror. Shock. <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, is a bit of a shock because this was, I remember this being everywhere. This will prove me very old um, and this will show my age but I remember this being everywhere in the summer of 89 I mean there was another film that was everywhere and it was called Batman but this was I can remember it I think it might have been on the back cover of Empire and you know which, which was just starting out in 1989 and so it was it was a big film for me I remember watching this when it came out loads of times and falling in love with it right away so I'm surprised that it's managed to pass you by and more than that, it was just on TV constantly for a while. Right? It was just every like you know, ITV just just gone. Well, we got a slight lull in the schedule just after the wrestling. What should we do? Let's throw the burbs on again. Yeah, mm. we have a hundred and three minute window. What can we possibly show? <laughs> <laughs> it's relatively inoffensive. Yeah, stick the burbs on. Fine. No one, no one knows. There's no, 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 there's no subtle themes. There's no, there's no hidden message in the burbs, right? That might unsettle our audience. Okay, no, I'm sure there's good. I right, just stick it on. Well, this is what the main, my main issue with the movie going straight off the bat is it, it does seem to circle round the plot and, and like the the key plot points. It circles round mm. it eventually, and it sort of, it sort of, um, the tension builds and builds and builds like a decreasing circle until mm. you finally get to the crux, which is in the last kind of fifteen minutes, as you get the meaty juiciness of of actually what's physically going down in this neighbourhood. And yeah. uh, and I was kind of. I found myself sort of um, waiting, and it's a, it's a very much a waiting game movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much is. You know, it almost plays out in real time, doesn't it? it plays out over the course of a of a couple of days uh, in this neighbourhood in a town that is briefly referenced in the film. I think it's called Hin- Hinkley Hills. Yeah, Hinkley Hills is the name of the town. And uh, yeah, I, I, if you want to skip to the end, if you want to start with you know my one criticism of this movie, because I think this movie is possibly along with Gremlins 2, Joe Dante's best film. And mm. it's the ending. The ending undermines everything. And the ending is your classic Hollywood bullshit. Can't let the hero possibly be wrong or a mad person. So we will twist it round so that the, the Klopex actually were evil serial killers all along, yeah. which somewhat undermines the message of the film, which has only become, I think, more relevant these days, I you know when I rewatched the film recently, and when I say recently, I mean an hour ago. I finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I got you beat. I finished it five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> then I squeezed in the making of it. So it was all fine. And watching it again, I was like, oh my god! I, mean, I always knew these guys were paranoid. I always knew they gave into their their bait, their most base instincts in terms of you know their their suspicions of the other their suspicions of the the people next door which is faintly rooted in xenophobia or not even just faintly rooted in in the case of the Bruce Dern character um but i watched it nowadays and i think ray art and uh, and the and the Bruce Dern character um mark 
they they are they're very QAnon-y in in a mm. in a very very in a way in a way that felt really resonant to me. Now you can see people going down the rabbit hole in this movie very very easily, and this is what's happening to a lot of people these days. There's even a line I think where um, the Rick Rick Dukemon character says to Tom Hanks, "Once they get inside here, and he points to his temple, it's over, pal." And that's happening to loads and loads of people with conspiracy theorists and you know flat earthers and truthers and all these things is yeah, happening yeah. right now. Yeah. And so the Burbs feels even more scarily relevant than it than it ever did. So to undermine all that by having them be right about the Clopex, because it would have had so much more power had they been wrong about them and had all their you know cheap and nasty accusations been based on nothing other than they look and feel a bit different and I'm a bit unsettled by that. But yeah. apart from that, it's cracking. <laughs> it rocks. I really liked um, uh, Bruce Dern's character. It was like channeling Ted Nugent uh, with all <laughs> guns blazing and American flags. It's just absolute nutter. And yeah, yeah, I mean, these people are coming out of the woodwork left, right and centre in the last four, four to six years in America. Well, four years at least in America. I mean, it's all you see on, on TV nowadays. <laughs> Characters like Bruce Dern's, uh, Mark Rumsfeld, as you say. Well, at least one of these people is now president, I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark Rumsfeld is now president. It's fundamentally he is, yeah. <laughs> it, he, it, he's very, it's very uh, chiseled and young. And I, mean, I just, I don't think I've ever seen him anything post um, Nebraska. Um, because that's the movie I, I, I've seen and recognise him in most. And, and, and I've yeah. never seen him look young, <laughs> I don't think. No, he's never looked young. Even when it's silent <laughs> running, he doesn't look young he's always looked like it's a bit like the max von sito thing that he's always looked like he's in his 70s uh, he yeah. was in he was in the hateful eight he was one of the hateful eight so okay. he was, yeah he was in that recently but uh yeah he's he's tremendous in this what age would he have been he would have been probably in his 50s or so but he's there he is nips out chest out he doesn't care <laughs> and uh yeah and, and basically doing very well for himself he's got a, a uh wendy shell plays body Rumsfeld, his his mm-hmm. wife or dutiful wife following in his footsteps, uh, you know, and I just like that dynamic of that, of that couple. Um, and clearly she's pulling the strings behind and but letting him, you know, go on with his stupid fantasies. And, and same really with uh, Carrie Fisher's uh, character as well. They're just utterly bored and, and of this, this life they're leading and these, these stupid husbands that they have. It just reminds me of myself. I mean, it, doesn't it, it speak to the cast of this that we've kind of been talking about who's in this film for five, ten minutes and not mentioned Tom Hanks yet? Because <laughs> it's got such a wonderful cast, right? It's, I mean, yeah. we haven't mentioned Corey Feldman, I don't think, and then um, like uh, Henry Gibson and Theodore Gottlieb um, as the uh, the Klopex, Klopex, uh family. It's just, it's just such a good cast. Yeah, the main the main surprise for me is the bin men Dick Dick Miller and Robert yeah. Picardo. <laughs> um, Robert Picardo, I mean, I, I mean, he, he's he sprung to life with in a space to me, also not sprung to life, but I recognised him first. It's the cowboy, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, brilliant in that movie, and then obviously Star Trek Voyager, which <laughs> the best Star Trek series where he's the Doctor. Yeah, to see him pop up in this was amazing and just so dry as well and just sort of going along with these amazing, crazy guys. And the yeah. worst bin men ever. I mean, you just, <laughs> I mean, they just, you just don't let people uh, do that kind of thing in, with rubbish and, and waste nowadays. And, really well, clean waste. Anytime. Do, you not, do you not know that it was like, I mean, like if you had yeah. my bin on the floor, it would look a lot worse than that. <laughs> There'd yeah. be all sorts of crap falling out of there. Yeah, I've like, always wondered about that scene. I've always wondered about, you know, what did it actually smell like? What did they use? There are no cigarette butts that I can see in, in no. there. And it's the, it's the end of the 80s, so everybody would have been smoking. Uh, it would have been foul, but presumably yeah. it was all sanitized for the for the shoot. <laughs> but it, like as you mentioned, with the sort of double plot twist at the end, where they turn out to be um, killers. Once you know that and rewatch the film, you see this bit. So the so in my mind, then initially there was a body in the bin, mm-hmm. and then they did bury it. So that means at some point during the night, they went and got some clean rubbish <laughs> put it in the back <laughs> so it kind of makes sense that it's not stinking garbage and that really should have you know set alarm bells ringing for the yeah. the, the paranoias yeah. like, why is their rubbish so clean <laughs> absolutely that's a very very good point but i think the clopex were always one step ahead right until the very end um but yeah it's interesting about the robert picardo dick miller cameo and that uh, they're both kind of lucky charms for joe dante you know going mm. all the way back i think dick miller was in either 
every Joe Dante film or almost every Joe Dante film until he passed away a couple of years ago. Robert Picardo, of course, was in The Howling as well. So he's, you know, so he gets him into his movies wherever he can. And he's in Gremlins 2 also. Uh, very, very funny in Gremlins 2. Ends up, well, being seduced by the female gremlin at the end of the movie. So it's... Uh, and we all were, let's face it. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. Jessica Rabbit, but in the gremlin world. <laughs> Corey Feldman. I mean, I, 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 I've seen pretty. I think I've seen every movie Corey Feldman in, and he's doing. Uh, oh my he's God. doing class, doing classic Corey, isn't he? <laughs> he only does Corey, right? There, there is, there, there is one speed for Corey Feldman. That's Corey Feldman. <laughs> but how does he afford that house? I just don't understand. Who's he living with? He's living on his, his own. Has he got parents? His parents are away. He's, ah, he's, I missed that plot point. Yeah, <laughs> huge, huge plot point. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, his his parents are away, and uh, and he's just uh, the 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 neighborhood foyer. I, yeah. I guess one one other scene. Well, there's loads of scenes to talk about. One of my notes, I'm just just browsing my notes. Uh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> we're here. done. Okay, thanks, thanks everyone. Uh, the, the great little throwbacks, not throwbacks, but a, a prelude, I guess, to Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks. Yeah, uh, which I, I yeah it was a complete surprise. Do you think he knew? <laughs> yeah, I think even knew. Uh, even then, he knew. This is actually the movie that introduced me to Mister Rogers because Mister Rogers is such an American concept and such an American icon. He's not known over here at all. So whenever I first saw this movie in that eighty nine, I always remember that scene, and I always felt I was I would always sing that song, but not always. I mean, I take breaks, but <laughs> you know, I have been known to sing that song in the past, and you know, just walking around idling. Yeah, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I always remember that scene. So when he was cast to play him, I was like, he played. He mentioned he's singing along to it, the Burbs guys. I know, I know something. I understood that reference. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's you know, it's, it was meant to be, meant to be. Take a break in terms of cast for a second, but let, let's talk to uh, let's talk to let's talk about the actual ratings because it's it's a shame that we have to do this every episode because these are good films. That's why what we tell ourselves. But um, IMDb does a lot better at six point nine, which it always does. But the the Rotten Tomato score is a depressing uh, fifty. Was it fifty eight percent? Fifty three percent. It's also really, is... and apparently, it was the lowest rated film of the year when it came out in eighty nine. But you know, wow. that is an IMDb. That could be absolute <laughs> bullshit because <laughs> I mean I, I have not researched that out. I just want to put that out yeah. there. That that is a face value <laughs> fact uh, right there. So yeah, there's but, some absolute stinkers came out in 1989. So I can imagine some great films as well. Great year for film, yeah, but uh, there yeah. were some stinkers. Yeah, I, the, the ratings for this and the reviews for this baffled me at the time, and they continue to baffle me. And I just watched the making of documentary in which Joe Dante says he remembers the really, really bad reviews that came out and he's memorized some of the worst ones. And he says, I think it was the New York Times said, the Burbs is as empty as a film can be without becoming a vacuum. Oh, and <laughs> Yeah. And he, was, he said, actually, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good line. And I can imagine the person who wrote it, you know, probably took the day off after writing that line thinking, yes, I've done it. I've nailed the Burbs to the, to the wall. If I wonder if they had that line first and just like, oh man, I've got this, such a cool line. It's like, oh fuck, I'm just going to stick on the Burbs. I don't care. I want to use <laughs> yeah, it so bad. Precisely. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Uh, there are plenty of films you could have applied that line to, but not the Burbs, which, you know, does have a lot going on under the surface. But it's just, it's crazy to me. I love this film. I always have loved this film. I think this film's a, a modern classic in, in many ways. So to give it, not, so I, I'll tell you how I went through my process for choosing something for this episode. Because when you said, you want to come on again? I went, yeah, of course I'd love to, but nothing popped into my head in terms of, oh, this film's clearly terrible and it's got a bad Rotten Tomatoes score. So I managed to find out a way in the Rotten Tomatoes website that you can start, you can search for everything that gets under 60%. And so I was just going through from 59% onwards, 58%. And I was writing down ones I liked, including the two other ones I suggested to you. And then I got to 56%, I think it was. And the Burbs was there. And I was like, well, okay, stop the presses. This is it. This is the one. What the hell is going on? This is crazy town. Um, which would have been a good name for the film, actually. Good alternative name. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I thought it has to be the Burbs because there's so much to talk about with this movie. It's such a great film. I was astounded. Again, I mean, very much from the first time you came on doing Blade, um, when Chris yeah. said, oh, you know, he wants to do Burbs. I'm like, we can't. That's clearly going to be... <laughs> too highly rated it's just like, how is this how is this again how has he found another film where everyone <laughs> loves and yet the critics at the time absolutely hated 
Here's my secret. I find a film that's actually 61% and then I write a quick negative review <laughs> on the Empire website. I upload it to Rotten Tomatoes. I get the average knocked down to 59%. Bingo. There you go. Devious. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite very cunning. Bunkertastic. <laughs> does, it, does, does, it, does it work the other way around? Uh, yeah, but if, if, what, I could bump a film up. Bump a film up. Yeah, so Attack of the Clones was on 59%, and I gave yeah, it five yeah, stars. Yeah. Now it's on 77%. Yeah. <laughs> Attack of the Clones, that will always come back to haunt you, I think. <laughs> yeah, I have to bring it up. It's like you know, if, I, if, I, if I bring a knife to a gunfight, I have to, I have to stab someone immediately <laughs> just to you know, assert my dominance. Attack of the Clones, there you go, I said it. I did it first. I did it first. Yes, I have robbed it of it its now. power. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Hey, it's a good movie. If you like sand, it's not so good. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's go to some uh, like little scenes that I really enjoyed. So, sardine and pretzel scene. I had to write that down because that's delicious. Not in terms of physically what he's eating, but just the way that builds. Um, so they 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 visit the the neighbours. They, they the women obviously are the, the intelligent ones in this movie. Decide, look, just go knock the door, take them a gift, say hello, and that's that's what that, normal that's, people this do. Is, this is precluded and um, preceded rather by. The, the one of the weirdest scenes of the film, where Bruce Dern's just stood there and just pulls off a piece of wallpaper. He's just like, <laughs> he's like fingering this little, and you can see he's like, what is he doing? And he's like, in the, clearly in the same room, but then at one point, he just like rips off a section. Suddenly, this is what he's had a choice to push it back in again. It's, it's odd. It's really odd. It is strange. But then I don't think I've ever done that. I mean, regardless of whether the house needs a good decorating or not, I mean, this is something you don't do. Socially, it's a bit unacceptable. Not even to murderers' households. Like, no. <laughs> it's not the thing no. to do. But um, they, they come out with snacks for them. Obviously, there's pretzels and there's sardines. And uh, obviously, in, in like true kind of Indiana Jones uh, monkey brain style, or was it no, the, uh, yeah, the other one? Where he, he goes for the pretzel and the sardine. I notice everyone else turns it down. And it, it's just the way he eats it nice and slowly. And it's the, the, the way that builds. I just thought it was a fantastic scene. Uh, the, tension, the tension around that and everything else, I think, just builds and builds. Because you know, in, in a certain in certain sort of social situations, you find his wife gives him the things. eye, right? She's like, "You're gonna eat that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You picked it. You're eating it. I <laughs> imagine that's quite nice as well, though. To be honest, I mean, I know it, it looks repulsive, and Tom Hanks absolutely sells it as being one of the more disgusting things he's ever stuck in his mouth. But I think to myself, a nice salty pretzel. And a nice sort of tomatoey fish. I don't think there were tomatoes. If, 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 uh, just just to confirm, I don't I don't think there was tomato sauce in that can. No, I, I just think, think it was. It, I think it was pure pure sardine, which I think it, yeah. you know just pure sardine. That's yeah. impossible. <laughs> but then the pretzel would season the sardine, so you'd yeah. have a bit of salt from that. I think it would be okay. It'd be I think it'd be fine. It's not uh, MasterChef, you know, criteria, but it's close. The, the, the sound effects work, right? Because there's like the yeah. fly noises and then like horrible yeah. squishing and ugh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think about that scene, the way there's all the awkward pauses. It's, it's yeah. such a precursor of all the cringy comedy of the last 20 years. Like there's so many pregnant pauses and everyone's looking at each other and it's so impossibly awkward, even without, you know, Brewster and ripping off wallpaper and trying to put it back on again. <laughs> But there's so much happening in that. It's got that scene's got one of my favorite lines, which is when Bruce Dern speaks to the, um, the brother Theodore character, and he goes, um, "I can't remember the que- I can't remember the question that Bruce Dern asks him." But uh, brother Theodore goes, "No," and then uh, Bruce Dern leans and he goes, "Oh, about a nine on the tension scale there." <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Theodore's got the greatest mouth in cinema as well. I mean, I don't think anyone else could deliver that no with such a kind of, you know, I mean, fundamentally outside of the Muppets, there is not a mouth that's that large and expressive. (laughs) It's like Harrison Ford, you know, he's got that thing where you can cut him down the middle and he's grumpy on one side and happy on the the other side. (laughs) This is all all grumpy. I I can't see this guy ever doing a a smile. No, Um, no. Absolutely not. But what Absolutely a smile not. it would be if he managed to crack it off. <laughs> if he ever did, it would change his life. Change everyone's life around him, I think. <laughs> he would stop killing people. <laughs> yeah. uh, Matt, have you got any uh, specific scenes that... Uh, yeah, there's one scene I loved, and, and it kind of... Um, I think 
when I when I got to the scene, it made me sort of readdress um, the, the the movie as a whole, really, and kind of think to myself, actually, it's, it's almost an art house piece, sort yeah. of like decked in the the clothes of a of a slapstick comedy. But um, it's when um, uh, Bruce Dern and Rick Ducamond uh, uh, come round to call for Tom Hanks, and uh, Carrie Fisher <laughs> won't let him come out, um, and it's just it's brilliantly shot because they shoot it from above so that they, it makes them look small, like children. Yeah. And he, even like um, uh, uh, Rick, uh, he kind of like kicks his feet about after sort of asking him and they kind of slope off just like two little kids. And then you yeah. realize that this is, these people are being incredibly childish, which is again, um, to Chris's point earlier, makes the ending seem even more hollow and kind of rips the, the sort of soul out of this film because these people are just being ch- childish and they're being small minded and, that's yeah. what it should have been, and that's could have been that should have been the the payoff on it. But yeah, such a brilliantly shot little bit of um, cinema where it's just like just absolutely makes them like, like as we mentioned, Bruce Dern looks like a fucking tree constantly, and yet he manages to look like a small child at this point. Mm. Yeah, he shoves his hands into his pockets, yeah, thwarted yeah. <laughs> in some way. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Everyone behaves like utter children in this movie, and. Uh, the way that the way that we're meant to believe this is one that I think the, the sneaky things about the movie because it's Tom Hanks and even though he was just coming off big at this point so he wasn't really Tom Hanks at that point he wasn't America's mm. sweetheart you still look at him and you go oh there's there's the virtuous guy that's the guy we're gonna hitch our wagons to and he's gonna be totally fine and completely and utterly sane and he's as insane as the rest of them I mean the way yeah. he lets himself be seduced by by them really really quickly and their paranoia and their suspicions and uh, and by the end of it he's absolutely gonzo uh, and I love that I love that you know the guy that you think is as normal as everybody else it actually is bottling up some real anger management issues I think there was a thread that ran through the film at one point I think it was cut out but you can still you can still see remnants of it so all the way through the film we're told that he's on a, a week's holiday from work and he's just a bit bored and he's a bit aimless and he doesn't really know what to do with himself but there was a subplot cut from the film that he'd actually been fired yeah. and he didn't he didn't have the nerve to tell his wife and so all that manifests itself in that sort of pent-up rage. There are very few scenes in this where he's not yelling at someone or yelling at <laughs> Carrie Fisher or, you know, or having some sort of reaction to something. So you can see that you know, if they'd kept with that, you can see he's already on the downward slope. So he's very receptive to these potential theories of serial killers next door, um, yeah. which I think is, is cool. Yeah, that, and that's that's the travesty that that wasn't left in because that that would be amazing, or, or at least would give give that character so much more in terms of you know understanding where he is at that point in time. It does yeah. remind you of when you watch this film about how good an actor, especially a comedian actor, Tom Hanks is, because oh. just like the smallest facial inflections and um, in the sort of final uh, final scene after the house is blown out and. Like the whole, basically, the physical comedy that he performs is just flawless. Like the way he mm. just sort of slides down the stairs. Oh my god! Mm. <laughs> it's just how do you even do that? And meanwhile, like being deadpan, and he throws, you know, he gets himself taken to hospital by <laughs> going in the back of the hospital of the ambulance and just diving on it himself. And like, and again, it's in a really childish way. And it's just, yeah. just um, yeah. If, if you are looking at someone that does physical comedy and maybe you wouldn't have ever sort of like normally think of Tom Hanks, but just watch yeah. this film. Cause it's just brilliant. Oh, it's, when it's he's amazing. shouting, he's always kind of the Tom Hanks does this wonderful way of shouting where he's clearly shouting at himself, even though he's talking to people <laughs> around him and it's mm. just amazing. Yeah. He's, he's so good. I, I spoke to him on the uh, podcast once, the Empire podcast. And it was mainly about Bridge of Spies. But at the end, I said, like, I have to ask you about the burbs. I have to, <laughs> I have to, which is weird because he's never really talked about this movie. I, I get the feeling that because it, it did okay at the box office, but, you know, didn't do gangbusters. And sometimes you get a feeling with people that there may be, they have, they, they feel that the movie was a failure and they don't really want to talk about it. But he was, he was happy to talk about it. I said, like, I've got to ask you about the bit where you slide down the stairs. I mean, how, right. what, how did you, it, it's one of the best bits of physical comedy I've ever seen that didn't involve a, a Buster Keaton or a Jackie Chan or a Harold Lloyd or a Jim Carrey or, or, or someone like that, or Bruce Campbell. It's just wonderful. You know, go back and rewatch the film, uh, people listen to this. And just the way he kind of staggers out of the house, which is funny. <laughs> 
from for a start. You know, see so the house is blown up all around him. Somehow he's alive. Okay, that's fine. I, I can I can I can deal with that. And then he just he doesn't just walk down the stairs. He kind of just flumps down them, and it's just perfection, absolute perfection. He's so funny in this. I think this is pretty much the last of his proper comedies. And after that, yeah, he started doing Sleepless in Seattle and things like that. But this is the last of his you know, early funny movies. And he's so good. And I still think, as great as Tom Hanks is, I still lament the passing of Tom Hanks, the the comedian, because he's genius level and stuff like this. Just there's, He commits so wholeheartedly. One of my favorite things, I, I posted a GIF on Twitter just before we came on here, because um, I was looking for, for Burbs GIFs. Uh, specifically, I was looking for the moment where uh, Art, the Rick Dukemon character, uh, finds the femur that they think belongs to Walter. Yeah. And they start screaming their heads off. And Joe Dante and his DP, M. Stevens, decide to just suddenly crazily have the camera push in and out as well with their screams and just heighten the, the anxiety. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's <laughs> tremendous. And I was like, it's got to be a gif. And it is, thankfully. Uh, but the fact that he commits, he goes all in on that. He goes all in on the slapstick. He goes all in on the rage and the paranoia. He's so, so good in this movie. And that's kind of what he was doing around that time anyway. Yeah, around, that, around this period of time, this is all the, all the movies he did in, in this era, kind of, you know, where I kind of grew up with, with Tom Hanks, you know, even like Turner and Hooch and Splash and um, the other ones. Um, but yeah, those are the, <laughs> all that comedy and all that kind of just regular Joe kind of way that he came across on screen. Obviously, you can see the, the, the definite sort of climb that he's done. You can see how he's grown and grown and grown because people just were warm to him, even in this role or any of those roles, early roles. He's just so yeah. likable, so talented and so sweet. And, you know, he's a, just a nice looking chap that you'd want to be friends with, even if he is going crazy <laughs> in the back garden. I just need to see him in one more film doing the thing where he snaps to such a point that he just starts to laugh maniacally. He does it in this, and um, but the the best one is in the money pit when the bar falls yes. from the floor, and it just laughs just constantly. And it's just yeah, I just need one yeah. more, one more film, Tom Hanks. You need to find the film where you, I mean, British yes. Boys could have been it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like it's all gone horribly wrong, and he just does his his laugh, his maniacal laugh, and I would have. Why he doesn't it. do it in Captain Phillips is beyond me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mind you, it may be a stress relief at least. Um, yeah, with, I mean, he's kind of playing that out. Or was I guess in Toy Story? I guess wouldn't he? Because he would have been playing out those kind of roles, the craziness and the, you know, the exasperating way that you know he he did the voiceovers for that. Yeah, he does the crazy laugh in that one as well too. Yeah, and like the 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 way he talks with uh, the Buzz Lightyear character and all that, those kind of interaction interactions. Um, You can see it there. We're talking about acting that you don't do in your pants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> not to, not to do a disservice to voice actors, but web, you know. uh, webcam on now. <laughs> check, 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 check. <laughs> but you know, pandemic has really given us a, an insight into how voice actors work. You just you just rock up, no yeah. trousers, microphone, do your thing, and then go about the rest of your day. The, the other twenty three hours of the day are yours to play with. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure he probably did two hours of work. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He he was really committed to the, <laughs> the, the, the role of Woody, of course. But we're talking actual acting on a set or on a soundstage or on location with cameras all around and maniacal laughing. That's what I want to see. Hopefully he'll do it in the new Paul Greengrass movie. Um, at a really inopportune moment. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> You mentioned the scene, Matthew, about when he jumps into the back of the the ambulance and stuff. Oh, yeah. Apparently, mm-hmm. there was, I've read this or I've seen this somewhere when I was researching the movie. Is that some of this because it was in the, the writers' strike? Some of the, a lot of the tweaks to the to the script were ab libbed or, or um, improvised. So apparently, that was one of the scenes where he picks up the bed and jumps back into the back of the truck was was purely spontaneous. So uh, mm. apparently, 
Yeah, but all good a, cult yeah, films was... need that backstory, don't they? Because they, they can't just be yeah. good films. They need to have something extra, something <laughs> that has to have happened yes. during the filming or something like that has to have happened. And yeah, the writer's strike got this one, right? So they had to sort of... It was a writer's strike or half our cast were on fire constantly. <laughs> kept having to put them out. That's it played, a, it right? It was a real problem. <laughs> yeah, that was played. Yeah, we ran out of money halfway through and uh, Wesley Snipes had to print up some fake cash. <laughs> then he found like around um maybe don't say that but anyway um <laughs> not again <laughs> not again not again wesley god you think you'd have learned anyway so um Allegedly. yeah so this 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 had a decent story this had a decent story and uh so it came out in 89 it was hit by the writer's strike license to kill was another movie that was hit by the writer's strike at the time and net two turned out to be a slab of perfection that i wouldn't cut a single frame of so maybe writer strikes are a good thing who knows maybe writers <laughs> are overrated um but i believe <laughs> The writer and co-producer Dana Olson, whose spec script it was that came to Joe Dante's attention, um, was employed in another capacity. Now I don't know whether that means that he was he was he's in the movie as a cop, but only for a second. Alongside, by the way, I should point this out. Uh, there are two kind of before they were famous appearances in this movie. There's Nikki Cat, the great character actor Nikki Cat, who is the long-haired, bemulleted friend of. Um, Corey Feldman, who gets told to get off Bruce Dern's lawn, yeah, and he has quite a few reaction shots and quite a few lines actually. And then, as a cop, the first cop he turns up in the neighborhood is Kevin Gage, uh, not the former Aston Villa midfielder, but <laughs> the uh, guy who plays Wayne Grow, the terrifying Wayne Grow in Heat. So, just six years ah. after this movie, but he doesn't have the long hair or the you know the terrifying psychotic behavior, so you can't really pick him out but now you know go back and see Wayne Grow and uh, and a young Nicky Cat Dana Olsen is a cop who appears at the end but I think I can't be sure because I don't want to get anyone into trouble but I suspect that maybe he was employed in another capacity so he could maybe hang around on set and you know keep up with the improvisations and keep on top of things and, and be the writer on set without actually being the writer on set i know i know but i'm <laughs> just saying that <laughs> potentially that is maybe what happened who knows who knows, who knows? I, I wouldn't want to say because that would be you know bad obviously but uh i read that they shot it on the universal lot so yeah. that is you can actually see that that the universal tour goes through that set it later became wisteria lane in the Desperate Housewives, it oh. was also where the, the Monsters house was and the Monsters, it was also where the Leave at the Beaver house was. So they would have to stop every, every now and again whilst filming was going on for the Universal tour to come through <laughs> because that was, deemed, that was deemed more important. But because it was shot in the back lot, it meant that they could shoot chronologically. So the whole film shot beginning to end, which is so uh. unusual. And that allowed the characters, the actors, I think, to get comfortable and start throwing in improvisations and Hanks is quite improv I think and Rick Ducamon who was a was a stand-up as well so he was always throwing in stuff as as art who may be the film's secret weapon I have to say I heard as well I read I read and, and looked uh, online obviously as I said I was doing some research on on the on the film that I hadn't seen until yesterday <laughs> um that, that the dog is quite a, a famous dog um is he doesn't the Yes, the dog appears in Silence of the Lambs. It's the same dog. It's Anthony Hopkins, isn't it? It's, it's Anthony Hopkins in a, in a dog costume. What, what dog can do? Another can do. <laughs> I can I I smell it. <laughs> um, yeah, the dog. Because I think, I think, if I'm right, Silence of the Lambs was, was, was filmed or released, or I guess the, the year after, was it in 1990? Uh, Sounds of Lambs is 91, I think. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we may have been filmed around the same time. I mean, this is, this is like yourself. You can, only tr- you can only trust what you read, and hopefully it's all true. <laughs> you can you only know. trust what you read. You can only trust what you read. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like the same dog, I have to say. I think, I think you're right. I think Queenie is the name of the dog. So, yeah. absolutely. I think, I think that's, that's the right thing. It is, yeah. it is the Queenie. Yeah. Does the dog in Silence of the Lambs make it out alive? I can't remember because I know it's hoisted down with the little bone. And but what happens after that? Does it does it make it out of the pit? I think it makes it out of the pit. I don't think they kill the dog. They kill everyone else pretty much, but I don't think they. 
Oh, the good time. Always reminds yeah. me my mum watching films is like, you know, we could watch the most horrendous thing of people being flayed, burned, and, you know, this is a typical Sunday afternoon watching with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and she has like no problem, but like a, a dog walks past and she's just like, if that dog gets hurt, I'm not watching this film anymore. Yeah, priorities. Yeah, watching the edge, for example. Oh, I hope this bear doesn't get killed. Such <laughs> <laughs> um, a nice bear. Those animal lovers, hey God. Um, <laughs> so, Matt, have you got any other any other tidbits from your your ever long list of notes that you write about <laughs> that you want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, unfortunately, with this one, it's just um, it is a brilliant brilliant film and the more you watch it the more you pick out of it it, it is as i say it, it's an art house film i i, I can't see anyone's better there's some strange bits in it the uh the, the zoom shot that you were talking about earlier really grates against the rest of the sort of camera work um and you, you kind of go oh that's a bit odd but my main problem with this is despite the fact that obviously that it, at the end it does you know flip it on its head and go oh you know you, you were right all along they were horrible killers is it's not even that that's that big of a problem that is the big problem but even the way that it kind of happens is feels tagged on because they've got away with it they've 100 got away with it they've been given a free pass these serial killers right they've blown they've they've done their murder ins and then someone is really carefully come around and blown their house up for them destroying all the evidence then literally fessing up to it and yeah. um and then he goes in and goes, you may have everyone else fooled, <laughs> but I know that you still know that I know that I'm the murderer. And then this is, mm. oh, fuck off. Why, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would he not tell the police immediately that he's found all this evidence? So, yeah, from, from Dr. Klopek's point of view, it's not the, the most believable character turn. Although I have to say, it does sound like you're strangely trying to be sympathetic towards the serial killers you're basically saying <laughs> look at it from the serial killers point of view they've just moved into this neighborhood they found nice quiet place lots of play, opportunity for them to kill some neighbors and maybe some people knocking around totally fine and no one as long as no one bothers them you know they'll be the quiet people next door that's that's all they want to be and you're angry with the people who've gone into their house and blown it up so i'm a little suspicious about you if i'm honest now. this is matt and i'm glad you're seeing it as well now chris because this is what i've i've known and i've had to deal with for many years uh there is something very very shifty about him uh, uh, and very different and you're, he's eyeing me up all the time when we are in the same room with each other yeah, yeah, but even even when you're not, because he's got the twenty four seven webcam. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's there. Shit, that's there. I'm just waiting for my big bin to be delivered, and then you're in fucking trouble. <laughs> you, need a, you need a big bin, Matthew. <laughs> you need a very big bin. Uh, lockdown ain't been kind. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a skip outside your house? What's going on? <laughs> oh, don't go too far. I mean, <laughs> like, come on. We're having a friendly, friendly game of banter here. What's going on? You've, you've gone too far. <laughs> Um, Chris, any any final thoughts or any uh, last minute defending you want to do before we play a? a, a <laughs> if this thing, if this thing, honestly, I'll be furious if it, anyway. But um, yes, I think this movie's incredible. I think um, it's it's interesting that Joe Dante went on to Gremlins two almost immediately because uh, Gremlins two is this glorious, wacky, anarchic live action looney tunes cartoon of a movie and there's elements of that in here as well there's elements of you know he's pushing it as far as he can tonally it's a really interesting tightrope to walk it's a comedy but there are horror elements as well i love the horror references that we see we see that dream sequence or the the, the sequence that, that prefaces the dream sequence we see clips from race with the devil which is a great 1970s um satanist road movie thriller which yeah. if you haven't seen it uh is fantastic stars peter fonda and loretta swit and uh and uh and warren oates really really great we got clips from the texas chainsaw massacre 2 in there as well and clips from the exorcist also so it's got it you know it wears its its horror fan you know stripes on its sleeve absolutely i i love that i love the risks that joe dante takes i love the crazy crash zoom uh, as we discussed, I love the sequence where he just throws everything at the wall and sees what sticks. I love mm. the sequence where Ray and Art are walking towards the house, the, the Klopak's house for the first time, and they're trying to egg each other, on, each, each other on to ring the doorbell. And as they step 
onto the path Ennio Morricone music comes in and it is actually Ennio Morricone music, not the great Jerry Goldsmith score. And it suddenly becomes a spaghetti Western for, for 30 seconds. And he does these wonderful push-ins on every character in the cul-de-sac watching them, including Queenie the dog. It's such a great film. It's so inventive. It's so playful. It's so spry. I think it's terrific. And of course, it's got a lot to say about the world as it was then and the hell of suburbia. And it seems especially relevant now. Yeah, just turn it off when Tom Hanks throws the gurney in the back of the ambulance and then it's a much better <laughs> film. Well, I think you'll agree that was very well defended, uh, Matthew. I think uh, you've done a good job there, Chris. Oh, thank yeah. you. So, do this film Dante, thing is, this, is this Dante's Inferno or Dante's Peak? Or what, what, are, we, what are we saying now? <laughs> Film's now secured its place out of the bunker, which I think we always knew. As a, as a guest, you get the golden <laughs> ticket at the Golden Pass. So it, you get, it shoots up the pipe and goes out into the general public, uh, as it Ooh. obviously it is. Straight onto um, ITB2. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying this is the best two ninety nine I spent yesterday uh, on on YouTube. Um, Fuck me, you and- narrowed that down as a compliment, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, you could have just left it as the best two ninety nine, but then you had to fucking caveat it with yesterday. I didn't buy it. I'm just trying to think, oh, and then on YouTube as well. <laughs> yeah, it's the best two ninety nine I've spent yesterday on hey, YouTube listen, between three uh, and five. Listen, <laughs> what I did though, Matthew, and just to give it, I didn't watch it on a mobile device. I I casted it or ca- cast it to my television. So I didn't, you know, just that that gives it something that I gave it the benefit of watching it on the big screen. Two ninety nine. You didn't, didn't give it the HD benefit, though, did you? I no, it, fuck that. <laughs> I it on remastered 2K Blu-ray, motherfuckers. Whoa. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's a commitment. You'd have seen that fake dog poof, what it really is in that resolution. <laughs> Just delicious ice cream. Well, that, no, uh, that fake dog poo created by Industrial Light and Magic, according to uh, the internet. So yeah, the special effects team was, um, were heavily involved in that dog poo. you imagine being in that department? You, you've joined Industrial Light and Magic. It's your first day. You're like, oh, what am I going to do? A bit of Star Wars. Am I going to you know, create a massive battle scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, what is it? A dog shit. You want to make me like a dog shit? Brilliant. <laughs> What a dream gig. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, we're going to do our uh, new feature, which we've done for like four episodes. We, uh, we, we won't be long, but this is called uh, <laughs> IMDB Key Plot Keywords. So it's, it rolls off the tongue. Um, but we've been doing this for a while now, and it's, it's great fun. IMDB has a, a good way of uh, letting you search for films by relevance by typing in keywords or the keywords that share. Um, and so this one has does the same. Have you got it, Matt? Yes, I found them now. Right. So it's misogynistic and, and quite sexist in this case, because uh, right off the bat, we've got uh, keywords such as sexy neighbor, thin legs, um, sexy woman. Yeah. <laughs> sexy woman, slim. Female legs. masculine, short hair. Yeah. There's a lot of references to uh, Carrie Fisher's hair as being man- masculine, which is yeah. weird. Uh, dog barking, barking. Sorry, father, son, mother, son. Spying on neighbour, woman on all fours. Uh, <laughs> binocular vision, band aid on face, slim, attractive girl. There's lots of um, there's lots exposed thighs. Please, <laughs> that that's a search term that you just that should be ringing alarm bells in various the, places around the world. <laughs> uh, the list is endless. I mean, well, it's about three hundred, so we won't go through all of them. But I just. Uh, it, it, it's, it's an insight into who, who does this. Saluting well, yeah, the flag. It's a funny story because this is how I found this film because I was using the keyword search and I was, I was desperately searching for a, a film which had band aid on face. <laughs> <laughs> and this came up. So, you know, well, I was enjoyed by not only the fact that, you know, it turned out to be the film I was reviewing today, but there was a glorious uh, little tiny band aid on her face for quite a while in this film. So. Yeah. Well, we'll end on the two we'll end this segment the popular segment uh, <laughs> this week anyway i can see why it's popular yeah, yeah the, the last two stepping in shit is one and sardine is the last one there you go yeah. that's it that's yeah. all you're getting plot keywords um <laughs> well um but well, I, I don't know whether that'll make the cut but if it does that'd be great uh, <laughs> i mean it should it should i don't see any reason why not i've got some of the keywords here myself my god it's incredible bare-chested male yeah. fantastic cinephobia yeah. Skeleton. Yeah. Well, I suppose the skeleton might be the bare-chested male. We don't know. Well, when it comes to Bruce Dennett, it could be the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Who knows? 
we'll see. It's a, it's a good game to play and uh, fun for all the family. Is uh, what we should do, um, do next time is uh, when we're just doing it generally is is uh, find a film, give someone five keywords, and see if they can guess what the fucking film is from those keywords. Yes. That's yes. a podcast in itself. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work, of course, if it's the film they've been talking about for 45 minutes. No, no. <laughs> that would be uh, you know, slightly obvious. Well, uh, Chris, it's time to say farewell. And you're, you're allowed to leave the bunker or you're in, you're in isolation in your own bunker, but you can leave there uh, obviously with a mask on, obviously. Do I get uh, shot up a big tube as well? Or is it, no, can I just no, leave I'm, through the door? It's not like... Uh, <laughs> that, that costs extra. <laughs> Charlie in a chocolate factory style um, yep. but uh, yeah look thanks again for coming on it's been uh, an absolute pleasure having you on and talking about the burbs it's uh, been an absolute eye-opener for me and I'm glad I'm, it's 2 99 well spent as far as I'm concerned and so yeah we will definitely commending the film to uh, all our followers all two of them so fantastic <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. This is the best part of the podcast. I've not, it's not improved since the last time you were on. It's when I basically talk us off air, if there was air. Uh, Matt, you talk people down off a ledge is basically yeah. what you're doing at the, at, the end, at the end of the year. But I notice every, every time I do this, regardless of the guest, Matt just likes to sit back and let me make an absolute yeah, fool no, of myself. It's, it's, uh, you never step in when I'm struggling yeah, I'm, like this. I'm, I'm do, this is basically, I didn't realise before, but I'm obviously heavily inspired by... Corey Feldman in this film is like this is the bit where I just invite my friends sit on the porch and watch Chris flounder in the street yep. evil man killing spree psychopath terror maniac psychopathic killer um, I'm not reading out keywords anymore I'm just describing Matt now <laughs> yeah, skip orderer um, right yeah so uh, if you if you enjoyed the podcast and I know you do and you haven't yet rated or, or given us a review on on iTunes, please go ahead and do that. That's fantastic if you do. Yeah, what kind of monster are you to listen to a uh, podcast and not review? Um, yeah, we're on social media as well. Uh, just search for the Movie Bunker podcast on all those uh, platforms that don't, don't do your mental health any good. Matthew, <laughs> where's, what's the what's the website address? It's uh, www.moviebunkerpodcast.com. Thank you very much. Thanks again, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> thank you i'm not going to listen to this i'm not going to hear this now oh great great bands uh, great this is great banter uh now a skip has just turned up outside my flat so i'm just going to leap into that thank you there's no room in any skip once i get into it 